Hello and welcome to StratHack, a new podcast series that aims to dig deep into the art of strategy and decision making, hosted by me, Sarah Holland, and me, Amelia Tarode. We're the two founders of the Thornbreak Collective, an award-winning brand consultancy based in London, but working all over the world. In each episode, we lift the lid on a company or individual who inspires us, talking with them about the decisions they've made and the strategic process they've gone through to achieve success. Then we identify and highlight the key brand lessons and marketing learnings which we believe will be applicable to businesses anywhere. Before asking ourselves and you the really tough question, so what are we now going to do differently? So in today's episode, we're talking the normalisation of childcare on demand with Sarah Hesh of Bubble, the app that allows parents to browse, book and pay for childcare in minutes, a flexible but trusted option that with the current situation as it is, we're sure every working parent needs to know about. But this story is so much more than just a useful app, although do stay around for the voucher code at the end. It's a fascinating discussion on trust, navigating fluctuating supply and demand, the importance of passion and purpose at the heart of strategy and the central role of community in a 21st century brand. Welcome to StratHack. We're delighted to start this season of StratHack with a very special guest, Sarah Hesk. Sarah and I worked together a long time ago. I think it was around 2008 um, at a London ad agency called VCCP, where she was heading up new business. And I just knew that she would go on to do amazing things and she hasn't disappointed. Sarah is Chief Commercial Officer at Bobble, a unique app that allows parents to browse, book and pay for trusted childcare in minutes and is passionate about the importance of childcare to enable parents to feel fulfilled and happy. She's on a mission to shift the way childcare is perceived and how it has traditionally been massively undervalued. She also believes that childcare plays a vital role in the fight for gender equality. Before Bobble, Sarah founded a social app called Mush to tackle the loneliness so prevalent amongst new mums. Mush was one of Wired's top startups and worked with the government's loneliness minister, as well as the Duchess of Cambridge, to highlight the lack of support new mums receive and how this contributes to the high prevalence of mental health issues amongst this group. Sarah has a particular interest in the transition women go through when they become a mother and has delivered a TEDx talk and a book on this subject. Welcome, Sarah. Hello. Sarah, thank you so much for agreeing to be part of the StratHack season. We're so pleased to be talking to you today. I wondered if you could start by just telling us a bit about Bubble what Bubble does, and really why you were so interested in taking up a leadership role with them. Um, Absolutely. Um, Thank you for that lovely introduction, by the way. Very, very nice. Um, So I work at Bubble. um, And thank you for anyone listening, because childcare isn't a topic that gets nearly enough discussion and doesn't often sound that interesting and sexy. But I feel very, very passionately about childcare in that it is something which is often invisible, often ignored, actually sort of holds our whole economy together and is vital as we strive for gender equality, uh, as we really should have reached by now in this day and age. Bubble is uh, the number one childcare app. It's an innovative take on childcare because it puts parents in control. And what we really believe in is enabling parents to do all the things that they need to do. It is all about liberating and empowering parents. Childcare is such an important element of any um, parent's life. And Bubble just delivers it in the most simple, smart way possible. So it's an app. You go on, you post a job of what you need, uh, and um, sitters and nannies will respond to you. So I suppose in technical speak, we're a a marketplace. But because childcare is such an emotive and important topic, we are 
we consider ourselves so much more than that. And what we find is parents who do use us, you know, really do have their lives transformed because suddenly spontaneity and the ability to do things and feel in control, which is something we do tend to lose when we have kids, um, can be introduced back into your life. And Sarah, can you talk to us a bit about why you were so interested in taking up a role there? Had you, had you used, this, had used this, the app before? Did you did you know about Bubble before you got offered a job? Yes, yeah, so I I've used Bubble from the start um, since they pretty much since they launched. But I think it's really interesting. You mentioned um, VCP, and I was thinking earlier when I was at VCP, I was, which was a kind of one of those bits of my career which felt quite pivotal. I think you all have that when you kind of go through your career. There are certain jobs you take and you feel like you're suddenly in the right place at the right time to do some interesting stuff and to think about things differently. And I was um, in the sort of late 20s and I, it was around the same time as the Sheryl Sandberg, you know, lean in stuff was like suddenly, like I remember the TED talk being shared around the office. It was like a big time. And the woman I sat next to at the time um, got pregnant and went off on maternity leave. And she told me how much ch- her childcare was going to cost. And it blew my mind. It totally was like, I I thought it was some kind of sick joke. I mean, how can it possibly be? I've got Sheryl Sandberg telling me to lean in and do everything. But if childcare is going to cost that much, then how can I be even sure that I'll be in a position to be able to afford it? And it was a totally eye-opening moment for me. And childcare is something that holds people, let's call it what it is, women mostly back in in such a huge way. So I've always felt very passionately about childcare and I think it is a big surprise when you become a parent how important childcare is. And you mentioned it in the in the start, Sarah, like childcare is something which is hugely undervalued. Like there's no price that you put on, you know, a mum who stays at home doing that incredibly hard job. Yet, you know, it's it's it is the most important job. So I feel very strongly about childcare because it is a barrier for so many women and because it's something that you know I feel that we can change and if we change it and make it more accessible more flexible then it will move society forward and when you talk Sarah it's so obvious that this is such a personal passion there's a sort of there's a real belief and authenticity that comes through loud and clear and I, and I guess that makes me think when you're giving people advice about sort of taking taking roles or starting businesses how, how much do you believe that you really have to believe in the cause and in 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 the mission that that a business has? I, don't, I think that comes back to like almost how my parents drilled into me. Like you just got to do what you enjoy. If you can do what you enjoy, and when I started in advertising, you know that was it's so exciting, and you know I absolutely enjoyed it and always have done what I enjoy. And I suppose I've come to find that I enjoy doing stuff which which matters to me. Um, and I don't think that's that unusual. And I think we all think about this in our in our careers, you know, what what's important to you and, and some kind of an authentic belief in what I'm doing is slightly changing the world for the better is important to me. Just wanted to pick up on some of those points you just made around around what's hidden and what and what's not talked about. And some of the points you made about the spontaneity. It's a really interesting kind of thing to want to give back to working parents, essentially. Um, <laughs> And yeah, just, control, yeah. yeah, just control and the ability to kind of not have everything so planned. And I just sort of wondered a little bit around, I guess, specifically the context that we're talking right now in. I know you've spoken in the past about that objective of normalising childcare on demand. Just be interested to hear how you're approaching that. And I guess specifically in times of COVID, when all of our frames of reference, normal habits, quote unquote, 
and even the dynamics within the home around childcare have shifted? Just how are you developing that strategy within the kind of current context? Well, there's a, there's a, there's a few things there. First, thing I, I would talk to the fact that we have, so as work come on to the COVID point, you know, we are very good at supporting self-employed and freelance parents. Tends to be more mums who move into that, that kind of way of employment because of the flexibility it offers. Uh, and you can't afford to send your child to a full-time nursery um, if you, you know, you maybe only have two days of work that week and five days of work. You need that flexibility. So we've always felt very passionately about supporting parents in that way. Look, at the, you know, at the moment, working parents are <laughs> at their limit. And I speak personally on that front. Um, so I um, am very proud of the fact that we can offer in-home childcare uh, in times of covid and it's been, a, you know, it's been a very interesting challenge as a business. And obviously, every business has had to think about how they behave over the last year. And interestingly, childcare, in-home childcare has never, ever been um, not allowed. And in some ways, you know, the government does understand the importance of childcare. Um, and that's why it's always been allowed. But, um, you know, we've made, you know, very concerted efforts to brief all our uh, sitters and nannies and their behaviours. We talk also, you know, it's really important that we protect our sitters and nannies as well and really look after them. Um, so we talk a lot about parents about how to make a sit COVID safe. So it's been it's been interesting for us to shift also from um, going from a, an evening business. You know, we, we were, you know, much more about, like you said, spontaneity of like going out with your schoolmates that you haven't seen, you know, for, for months, you know, being able to do that, that kind of spontaneity and excitement that does tend to fall by the wayside when you have kids and you know <laughs> no one's done that for a while so we have moved much more into daytime uh, regular help and you know I don't think it's any secret to say that you know being at home homeschooling doing the childcare, and having a job is simply not possible so if we can enable some working parents to feel better about themselves to give them some focus some level of productivity that makes them feel good about themselves then um, I really hope we are helping in some way. Do you think you've taken some inspiration from outside the category around that? The childcare business hasn't had a huge amount of innovation I mean it's had basically no innovation over the last well, ever let's say you know it's the oldest job in the in the world so when Ari the founder um, set up Bubble it was to, was to be disruptive and it was to think about the level of trust that we ask for from our bubble parents that we are never flippant having someone come into your home and look after your kids is like the most important job in the world and, and we must never ever forget that and I think where we take real inspiration from other businesses is when we think about trust and how trust has changed so much in terms of what we trust you know we're no longer trusting big businesses and institutions in the same way we're much more likely to trust our friends, our local network. And, you know, there's, there's bad and good things about that, as we know, um, but and in a world of fake news. But what is really interesting is that we have built trust by building a network of parents. So when you go onto Bubble, you can see your friends and you can see the sitters that they use and they trust. Or you can just see people who go to the same school, your same school as your kids and see which sitters they use. Or even actually people you work with, because we have a lot of corporate partnerships too. So you can immediately get that level of recommendation and trust through other people. And the brilliant Rachel Botsman has written much more eloquently about this than I could possibly. But redistributing trust is something which I think is incredibly interesting. And when you think about how the likes of Airbnb have done that, you know, that's where we're, where we're looking to. You know, who would have thought you would be happy 
to, you know, rock up at a stranger's home in a city you've never been to, pick up a key and stay in their home. Like it's, it's that, you know, that would seem so alien, you know, even a, you know, a decade ago, but now is totally the norm. And my mum's very happy to do that. And I think about, you know, the same with I like, get into a stranger's car all the time or used to when I used to go out into the world. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, that's also seen as totally normal. And um, I think that's what we look to the kind of you know how how trust has changed and how where people get a sense of confidence and trust from it has definitely shifted uh, and we look to yeah, as I say Airbnb uh, are the, have really mastered that brilliantly well one of the things you said Sarah there was that you built the brand of bubble through networks of real people sort of telling other people and and I find that fascinating so I guess I'd like to understand a bit more about the brand of Bubble and how you think Ari and the team built the brand. And, and I'm really interested in understanding supply and demand. And I know it's a, it's a kind of odd phrase when you think about childcare, but I suppose supply being the people who provide the sitting service or the nannying service and demand being parents. So the, the brand and, and how, how you build and balance supply and demand. I think this is... A- something that I as you mentioned at the start I was in agencies um for a good decade and, and loved it and, and you know brand is something you really put on a pedestal in, in an agency and that is very different when in startup worlds and when the startup is something very personal to you so Ari set up bubble and you know the co- competitor that he was he was fed up with using was a whatsapp group you know basically asking your mates if they had any cousins, mates, neighbours who could babysit. And, you know, it's this kind of very you know, rickety network that you were trying to plug into, which was totally unreliable. But, you know, because you then with one, you know, you'd find one person and their mate would actually come instead. It was, you know, it was just, it was just not a sustainable or efficient way to find childcare. And so that was really where, you know, the idea came from. That's why, and so network has always been at the heart of, of the product and, you know, Ari built a fantastic product. And the product and brand conversation, I think, is so interesting in a startup because product tends to come first. It tends to be some kind of problem that has been identified that you want to fix. And Ari starts to bubble just to fix exactly that. He wanted, he, he very selfishly, he'll admit this, he wanted to play football. And his training was on a, on a Thursday night or something. And he was fed up with trying to find childcare to do that in, in really bad ways. So he he set up Bubble in order to fix that problem and built a very, very good product, which was all around these trust points. So when you go, you know, from the very start, as soon as you went on, you could connect with your friends or see your friends if you log on with Facebook or so that the app can access your contacts. Uh, and you can, you know, see people who have used the app and who which sitters and nannies they've used. And that is um, not only massively reassuring for a new user, but also it means that referrals kind of baked in as well. So growth, which is you know a massive uh, challenge for any startup, is, is sort of baked into the product. Like you know the the branding was done as a bit of an afterthought and was because Ari liked the colour green. It was very green and very grey and very white until I arrived and said we had to have lots of colours. So, but I think. I think with startups, it does tend to be product first. And product was all about trust. And therefore, the brand was all about trust. And actually, almost, Ari didn't give himself permission to play with that. It was almost so straight 
that until you've got that user base, you know, you kind of really need to you know, have that authority. And then you build up the authority because you've just got loads of amazing parents saying how great you are. And you can really grow your branding and bring in more personality and color and friendliness and warmth um, and all the things which are so important to a new parent who are who is approaching the product um, for the first time. Sarah, have, have you seen in COVID different types of people signing up to be sitters and child carers? It's 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 really interesting and in some ways quite quite sad but also good that we are able to supply this level this line of work for musicians actors um i personally uh, had a an incredible theater director work for me over last summer um who is like i don't know when i'm going to work again i mean she really i mean she's a wonderfully positive pragmatic person and you know she's able to sustain was able to sustain herself um, last year through bubble so that's been really interesting and um more generally on the supply point, actually, it's never been a challenge for us to find sitters and nannies. And even though they go through a very strict vetting process, and in fact, only about 13% who apply actually make it onto the app um, because of the hoops we make sure they go through in order to be a verified sitter on the app. Even that like, we never have any problems with supply. There's always brilliant sitters and nannies available um, but yeah, it's definitely changed in the last year. And we've seen, you know, like we've got um, a musician from the Philharmonic Orchestra. We've got some, you know, minor actors from <laughs> soap operas that you might have seen. You know, it's, 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 but it's also, you know, I, I, one of my favorite local sitters is a, a fashion student and, you know, her stuff's been put on hold. She's supposed to be going traveling around the world. Um, you know, she's young. She had, and she's, just using bubble all the time at the moment because she hasn't got anything else to do and she loves hanging out with kids so it's kind of works for her in that way too. I wanted to pick up on there's a couple of points you made there where you were talking about Ari and the kind of the, the founding story of the business and actually your last role was at a business that you founded Mush mm. and while obviously bubble is still in the same world are there differences in how you're approaching strategic decision-making, the business itself. You know, as founders, Amelia and I would both also recognise a lot in there in the story that you shared. You know, it's it's instinct. It's you're solving a problem for yourself. You know you know the place that some of that's come from. It'd be really interesting for you to just talk us through how has the fact that you're not a founder now having an impact in terms of how you're approaching those strategic decisions, I guess both positive and kind of challenge as well. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, the way you describe it is, is so spot on. You know, that very emotional gut feeling you have when it's your business and you've taken it from an idea that was floating in your head to some scribbles on a piece of paper to, you know, building it into a real thing. And there's, you know, so much uh, emotional baggage that comes with that. So I... Um, you know, I, I founded Marsh um, with Ke my co-founder Katie and we did that for five years. And it was such an amazing roller coaster. And there were so many highs and lows of emotions that, you know, every decision feels more weighty when it's your startup, of course. That can come with negatives as well, because it doesn't necessarily put you in uh, the greatest frame of mind uh, and it can make you... Um, you know, it, it, it can mean you, you challenge yourself even more. 
And as someone, you know, like all of us, you know, imposter syndrome and self-doubt, actually, I find that I've, I'm sometimes, I have more, less, I'm, I'm more free of that when I'm working not as a founder now. I can be more decisive and confident uh, about things. Whereas as a founder, I almost would tie myself up in knots more, which I don't know if that makes sense or not, but it's de- it definitely does feel different. It's funny because coming from agency side where the buck doesn't really stop with you that often uh, when you're, you know, especially when you're, you're doing new business like me, I was just like, rock up for the pitch and then see you later. It's so much, it's a, such a weightier responsibility when it does and when it's your product on the line, when every person who picks up and, you know, taps your app, you're like <gasps> holding your breath with kind of anticipation of what they're going to think, what they're going to say. And whilst, uh, as, as I hope I've shown, I'm very emotionally involved with Bubble and what we're trying to achieve, it is, it is, a, it is a shift. And, you know, there are things I miss about being the founder, but there are quite a lot of things I don't miss too. Sarah, one of the things you mentioned, which I found really interesting, was that in the world of mush, it was mum-centric. And I remember a long time ago you telling me that somebody had said, well, this is kind of anti-fathers or this is sexist against men and it should be parenting, not mothers. And I remember you saying to me that you'd taken a concerted, you'd made taken a decision back in the early days that actually it was about mothers and connecting mothers to mothers. And Bubble seems to be different. Bubble seems to be much more parenting as opposed to to mothers. Uh, and I thought that was interesting. I'd be, be 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 fascinated to hear your uh, your take on the different approach that you use for marketing when you've got two audiences, I suppose, me, you know, male and female. This is such an interesting question, Emilia, and probably like one which isn't really about branding and strategy, it's about society and gender and the roles that we play because it is something we thought about loads at Mush and and it was it was tricky and I you know we questioned it all the time should we allow dads to join but Mush was all about new mums and being a new mum is quite an emotional and physical and vulnerable time in terms that doesn't quite make sense but you know you're physically changed you're emotionally changed it's such a massive transition and it is different for the mother than it is for fathers. Um, and that's probably, you know, a little bit, you know, as you talk about, um, we had, you know, we had lots of gay parents on the, on the site as well. And that was, in, you know, they had the interesting challenge as well. It, it was always a kind of feminine site in terms of the challenges that we were talking about, breastfeeding, you know, after birth bodies. It was, it was some pretty intimate conversations that would have been different if there had been men on there. And you can't deny that, whether it's right or wrong, it would have impacted the way the community interacted. And that was a very precious kind of balance. So we deliberately said no to dads in the main area of the site. We've talked about it. I can't tell you how many, how many times we've gone round and round in circles with that debate. But yes, for Bubble, it's totally different. Um, absolutely, childcare needs to be something that is split between um, parents. And actually, we make a very concerted effort to make it as dad friendly as possible that sounds sort of patronizing it's not supposed to but and actually because Ari set it up and perhaps because I mean, other childcare sites are so difficult to access and, and so, for anyone like and Bubble is so simple and friendly and smart that we do tend to have a, a really good balance we also enable shared accounts so you can you know if I find a sitter and I want to see what 
my husband thinks of um, them, they can just log on and look at, look at them too. So there's small things, but actually can make quite a big difference in sharing childcare decisions, which I really do believe is incredibly important. And it shouldn't just land on women. Unfortunately, at the moment it does. And we're seeing that so starkly during the pandemic and during this homeschooling phase. And it's poor and it will have a horrible long-term impact because we will lose women from the workforce because they are trying to do too many things at the same time. And I'm worried about it, very worried about it. If we can get more um, fathers involved with childcare, it's a small step, but an important step in the right direction. I think we're coming up to about the end of our time with you, Sarah. Um, Sarah with an S-E-R-A, Sarah. Uh, do you want to do a last qu- last question and then, then, we'll, then we'll wrap? Yeah, just interested, going back to the point about all of the normalisation that we've talked about, whether that's normalisation that it's shared decision, normalisation of spontaneity, childcare on demand. Part of the job that you're trying to do there is ultimately, as we would have said in our old lives, a category job. You're trying to kind of normalise, I guess, bubble as the standard. Just in terms of future decision making, the brand, the business model, your role as kind of number one in sector, what happens when other competitors kind of start to catch on that the bubble way is the right way and kind of join you in this market? We know how bad the need is and that has been shown up so starkly as we've discussed, but where do you see you're going to keep that edge going forward as kind of more, whether it's bigger, possibly more higher, highly funded competitors come into the market? What then? What do you think the future holds? I think it's, as a startup, you always kind of have a healthy paranoia about, about competitors. But I also don't think it's that ideal to fixate on it. And it's like we have the best product. Like we can, we're so confident with that. And the way that the way Ari set the business up and went product first, uh, which is pretty rare in startup world. You know, you, you, you often have a very rickety process um, product that you try and grow too quickly and then come into all sorts of trust issues. But because we've always had trust at the heart of what we need, knowing that we had to build that trust, so the product had to be right, growing very slowly, not very slowly, but over over years rather than over months as some you know crazy new startup on the scene. It doesn't concern us, and we also know it's built for parents by parents so any edge that anyone else is going to have we're using it like yet again I've worked for a business where I've just created something that I want to use and it's a joke but it also it does it does give you an edge um because I know you know the annoying things about having how you pay for your childcare at the end of the evening and all those sorts of things that we try and make as easy and smart as possible for parents so there, there are some big players in the space, but no one does it like us. And no one seems to have the kind of modern take on childcare that it should be on the terms of parents. It needs to be flexible. It needs to be quick, easy. And, you know, you need to have that sense of trust and that sense of control. Sarah, thank you so much for spending time with us today. It's been fascinating. I know we've taken a huge amount of insight out of the conversation. Thank you so much for having me. So we're going to say goodbye to Sarah now. Um, find out more. Is it join joinbubble.com? That's right. Joinbubble.com. Or search for Bubble Childcare on either of the app stores. Um, and Sarah actually has a special um, uh, code, discount code for Strathack listeners, which is which is what, Sarah? Strathack10. So download the app, create a profile. It takes about a minute, if that. Go into the My Wallet section and add Strathack10 and you will have £10 credit to spend. And, and I promise you, you will not look back. Thank you very much. So thank you to Sarah. 
Um, and if you stay with us, Sarah and I are going to dig back into this conversation uh, and pull out what our key findings and implications for any brands and businesses are. So stay put. So Sarah, what what was really resonating with, with you, with Sarah from Bubble? I think the key thing for me, actually, reflecting on that conversation was the concept of trust. What was interesting was when we were talking with Sarah and she she pulled on the Airbnb reference of actually, you know, taking that learning out of category and how you go about building trust around a shift in behaviour. So in this case, you know, normalisation of childcare on demand. But what was interesting for me was actually sort of thinking about how there are those lessons, whether that is Airbnb, which is a a well-known one that we all use, but actually I was thinking back to Hirecar, our sort of, our founding client. Our very first client. Our very first client. And actually... Airbnb for cars. Airbnb for cars and how that was all about normalising lending your car to somebody that you don't know or, you know, the flip side, borrowing somebody's car that you don't know. No, absolutely. I mean, you know, not like children, but kind of like children. You know, people do name their cars. They feel, yeah. you know, it's probably after your house. It's that, you know, the thing that you spend most on. So, they, you know, these aren't things that, you know, it's not like a a power drill or a lawnmower that, that actually is quite easy to share. This it, it's Sharing's a big deal. Yeah. And it also, it also speaks to, likewise with Airbnb, what sits behind that. The, the trust around lending your car and kind of, and, and shifting that dynamic, but also the the thing that you're really selling underneath it, you know, with hire car, it was freedom. You're selling choice, freedom, the ability to kind of do something get flexibly. Get up and go. Yeah. yeah, get up and go, move, do, you know, do what you need to do. Airbnb, that kind of shift from visiting a place to living in a place and that kind of, that sort of shift in behaviour. And I know it's also sort of reflecting on, and I know we use this as an example a lot um, in terms of also sort of the functionality dynamic what do, you, what do you mean by that? Well, thinking about even way back at the start, sort of since Hirecar, we use dating apps as a reference. Do you remember that kind of, you know, how you combine normalising doing doing something differently, like Airbnb and Hirecar, and actually that other sort of dynamic of where certain cues in behaviour from other places help normalise things. So we've used dating apps as a reference, but we've also used the uh, like Apple Pay example. Do you remember that actually rooting it in looking like a card on your screen was what got everyone's head around trusting the fact that it was real money and it was a real payment when you paid with your phone? It looks like you're... It looks like... Yeah, so just for me, I was just reflecting on that discussion with Sarah and thinking, you know, there's trust at the centre of it, but also that that really interesting, what do you pull on? How do you root trust in something familiar? How do you shift a change in behaviour? How do you normalise doing something differently? And and just what are those things that you can well, you No, can and I on? guess it's interesting, isn't it? Because I suppose if you think about something like Bubble, which is normalising childcare on demand with Airbnb. And I guess what was interesting about Airbnb is that then they kind of laddered up to that thought of belong anywhere that you know that you'd referenced. Mm. Yeah, and and I guess it's interesting with Bubble is that actually they're at they're at kind of the beginning of their journey really, which is you know I suppose that's what Sarah's been brought in to do to try and help them think about what that overarching thought because they don't have a belong anywhere yes thought yes. yet. Yes. I also th- I think it's interesting 
if you go back to the last 12 months, and I guess this is why this is one that you're right when you talked about Airbnb, that actually what Airbnb did is their, in, with their reframing is that it took it away from kind of just holidays to kind of belonging. Mm. And I guess that's kind of interesting with childcare. We, you know, I think Sarah mentioned that it used to be that people kind of booked it on demand when there was an issue, when they had to work late or when they wanted to go out or, it, you know, it, it felt the demand, the, the triggers for it felt different. And obviously now it's much more sort of daytime um, and and mm. what what people are looking for out of the app is very different. And, you know, I guess I sort of hypothesize, I suppose, you know, 18 months ago, two years ago, a lot of the kids might never have met the childcare because it was evening based or they'd put them to bed and that was it. Yes. Whereas actually now they need people that can teach them and, you know, take them to the park and play and amuse mm. them. And, you know, actually what the definition, almost like the definition of childcare has kind of changed and, and how bubble will respond to that will be really interesting to see. Yeah. And that whole supply and demand dynamic that we touched on with her, the out of work actor turning to kind of bubble, you know, in terms of different, you know, flexibility over who comes into childcare and what childcare kind of necessarily means and moving that away from yeah, being much around more men, babysitters. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. As she sort of described it, you know, it used to kind of skew to young girl babysitter and now it's actually because as you say it's more it, the, the needs have changed yeah older and just different things I might need a, a babysitter for, for for this day but I might need help with kind of homework for another or I might need fun activities in the park for another and that well that isn't that interesting you're absolutely right that 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 sense that if you're using the app you kind of you think about the character of, of the of the childcare, the, the personality and what they bring. And you're completely right. You might have somebody very different on a Monday than you do on a Friday, but actually it's still three to five. It's still the same time of day. Yeah. And actually, if you were a kind of, if you were a computer, a computer would go, well, you need the same thing because it's the same time and it's the same child. But actually you as a parent know that there are, you know, the Friday feeling's different from the Tuesday feeling. Yeah. And then that goes back to, you know, really what they're ultimately that's you know selling kind of freedom or time back for parents and thinking again, as you say, sort of post last 12 months and what things look like going forward. And actually there's an element of change in what flexible means. It doesn't mean flexible, but fixed hours. It might mean, you know, ad hoc, on demand, different need states, as we're saying, but also just that ability to, I guess, make it feel a bit more of a sort of proactive in control choice. I thought that was sort of interesting around the trust dynamic of how what you actually trust what you yes, actually I, trust no, 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 here no, is them right. it's yes, not the individual right. you trust bubble to give you the the solution that you need for that problem at that yeah, time yeah no i think that's interesting and i i kind of was kind of sort of scribbling down when you were speaking that that actually what bubble then becomes is a very empowered and intelligent choice mm. so again rather than, i think sarah had said you know that the original founder who, who who was who was a dad had said he was kind of relying on you know WhatsApp groups and somebody asking so has anybody got a babysitter and actually this becomes much more considered much more empowered and much more intelligent and and actually much more in tune with your child and actually that sort of that personal dynamic and what works for an individual you can start to see I mean I think Sarah, so Sarah was 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 fairly new into her role yeah um, you can really start to see what she 
you know, what she could start to do with, with the brand as it moves forward. Yeah, absolutely. That, that part of your plan solution for any given week or month that, you know, control, emboldened decision-making, all of that stuff that puts you in a, in a really sort of positive place as a customer. And that's an interesting space for the brand to play with that kind of trust dynamic rather than being about the the sort of distressed purchase, I guess. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, no, no, but it's interesting because I kind of get sort of, it's trust on both sides, isn't it? Yeah. Because actually if you're delivering childcare, the whole, all the payment is done through the app. So you can go back and you can double check and, you know, that whole thing, you know, in the olden days when you used to go out and you'd come back from somewhere and you didn't have the right change and, yeah. you know, all that fiddling around at the end of the day and finding an ATM that's, you know, all that in the olden days. But actually it just, it makes it more streamlined and actually makes it safer if you think about that for both people. But I can imagine the first time it kind of feeling remarkably weird the kind of, you know, the idea of kind of childcare on demand yeah, almost um, makes it sound like, it sounds like, you know, Deliveroo, you know, a pe- you're ordering yes. a pizza or something. Yeah, it's your most important thing. It's just, it's such a weighted decision. And and it's kind of, under normal circumstances, most people, most people uh, don't invite the Deliveroo guy in. You know, it's... it's yes, yes it's in yeah. their children's bedroom. <laughs> in the children's bedroom. You know, you kind of go, it's trust in the sort of process of it and in the... You know, and it is very, on the one hand, for me, you know, swiping, hence the kind of, you know, dating app visual reference that I mentioned earlier. But actually what you're doing is, you know, you can look on a screen and you can, you can see, you know, DBS check. You can see whatever it, yeah, you know, no, whatever abso- it was absolutely. that you were looking for, but still you've got to have the trust in the fact that well, from Uber, a brand I mean, perspective. Uber, Uber would be a real, you know, yes, Uber would be a yeah, complete about that, you know, again, yeah that you get into a car you you don't know it's not a black cab yeah um but then you think about i mean maybe this was just me but again many many years ago you know before there were ubers and black cabs were just too expensive you used to get like people said they were cabs and you'd get into them you'd believe them, oh god the cars yeah. that you'd get into you know and yeah. actually that sense of who we trust is interesting but you know what it made me think actually sarah it reminded me of um uh, mark earls who yes. obviously wrote Heard and mm. many other brilliant books. But he talks about um, we are what we see. Mm. A- and I guess with something like Bubble, it feels like it's important to find out that other people are using it. And I yes. guess that, you know, that might be interesting as Sarah sort of goes forward, which is, and I suppose when you log in, if you're logging in with Facebook, if you're on Facebook, you know, that's what you see. You can kind of see people in your network. Yeah. Nobody wants to be, or very few people, I imagine, want to be the pioneer in something like this. You need to know that others have done it. You know, we are what we see. We get huge amounts of, or we get all our belief, you know, when we look to others and yeah. we see that we're not the odd one. Obviously, no arguments for me ever thinking about what Mark has said or thought. But I think what's interesting about this, like you say, is even if you are a comparable risk taker or you you know in other areas this isn't like that this isn't i tried a new restaurant this is i put the you know the safety of my children in the hands of somebody so there is that you've got to have a shorthand for that trust i guess that's what's sort of interesting around how they're framing some of the 
it's normalized. It's interesting. You know, she she talks about normalizing childcare on demand, which is very sort of need state driven, rather than she's not. You know, the the statement wasn't normalizing childcare apps. I yes, think sort no, of absolutely. yeah, just sort of trying to think about it's it's playing into flexibility and that you're flexible in other in other areas of your life and rooting some of that familiarity and pulling on behaviors that yes, you no, use I in other places that. i can see that i mean i think it was also interesting um that sarah was a user of the app first yes um yeah. I, you know she's a very um kind of purpose-driven marketeer you know mm. she she wants to she not even wants to believe she believes in what she's selling and, it, you know, it reminded me of the old, you know, the old story. I never quite know if it's true of, you know, P&G grads <laughs> having yeah. to eat, was it Pedigree Chum having to eat the dog food? Yeah. Because actually the food, the quality of the meat is, uh, you know, is 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 human, you know, it's fit fit for humans. I never, never quite know if it's true, but the sort of the eat, eat your dog yeah. food. It's interesting, you know, lot, lots talked about brand purpose and, and brand belief. Um, I'd kind of be interested in your thoughts on how much you need to eat your own dog food. Yeah, I think it's interesting. We we come across this a lot when we think about when we work with, you know, smaller businesses, because you've normally got a founder who's to some extent rooted in either personal experience or a, a, a problem that they wanted to solve for themselves yeah, and they couldn't find a solution. Based, yeah, mission based, based founders, yes. Yeah. And so we we end up being slightly skewed towards these kind of stories where you do when, when you are that small and you are starting something and you're putting it out into the world, you do have to believe in what you're say, selling. And she does connect to it. And, and and we deal with this a lot. Putting another hat on, I don't believe that you could only, let's use your dog food example, you'd have to be, I would imagine being a dog lover would help. But there are still some, when you get to things at a certain scale or at a certain level, and if we're talking about kind of PNG, there's some things that are principles of marketing. At that point, I think it depends on your kind of your role and what you touch on on brand. Um, but from this kind of business perspective, as you said, they're at the start of working out what they ladder up to. And you couldn't, I don't think you could get to what you ladder up to unless you are in it, unless you are in what the problem that you solve is. I think it's interesting I'm now trying to challenge myself to think of a company that we know that we've worked with where it's the opposite. But I do think, you know, you can... You can believe in it without having to eat the dog food. Yes, exactly. Yeah, no, you, yes. Can, you can understand the principles of and you can, you know, you can understand the fundamentals. You can understand what the brand is and what it's about without fundamentally living the brand. And actually, not in this case, but, you know, as we know that actually sometimes that Sometimes that's a challenge. Sometimes it doesn't give you the perspective on brand that you need to look at it a different way. If you see yourself too much as the customer, it can be hard to distance yourself from that. And sometimes you do need that balance to be able to think about not, as you scale, not only solving your own problems, it's got to be about the customer and the brand and and and, and that distance. I mean, I guess what's interesting about Bubble is... It's a marketplace, but it's also a community. Yeah. And that is different. On one respect, you could go, it's a classic marketplace. Um, what you're selling is time and expertise in childcare and the really good people can charge more and the new ones yeah. in charge. So in that respect, it's a classic marketplace, but it is community built. 
Mm. And actually, bubblers, are they called bubblers? Maybe. Uh, now they they are are now. I'm calling them bubblers. <laughs> they um, are now. You know, bubblers, I imagine, you know, you feel like you're in a community of like-minded parents, you know, probably quite modern parents you know, as, as, as well, and mirroring the real world communities of schools and, you know, your street WhatsApp group, I think she talked about as well. And I, th- I think that kind of marketplace meets community is an interesting space. No, completely. And that goes back to that sure, you know, Mark Earl's herd too. That's seeing other people's behaviours to a certain extent. That's also, you know, some of that trust coming from that feeling of, you know, the, the the school WhatsApp group is the interesting example, right? Because actually you what you have in common on a school WhatsApp group is you're not friends with every single person on that WhatsApp group. You all know each other, but you have one thing in common and that's that you want the best for your kids and that they share a connection. They're all in the same class at school or year or, or, or whatever that is. And that sense of community built around the fact that you're all parents is an interesting thing. It's not necessarily about endorsement or influence. It's just about kind of commonality in community and that sense of, you know, again, I guess particularly thinking about over the last 12 months, we've had to redefine what some of what we would normally have had in a in a physical environment and pull it into a kind of a virtual-based one. And definitely, as you sort of said, that how, how do you mirror a real-world community? Where is it? Where is it not just a group of, because you can build a community um, in terms of volume, but you can't necessarily, it's a different thing to get them to connect around something. It's a different thing to get them to trust one another. So I trust your recommendation of person X because we live around the corner from one another and you've said that they're great at park visits and that's really important to me. There's something different that I'm finding in common with you there than I, we don't have to build a direct relationship. It's not about, I'm not networking with other parents. No, you don't become a friend with them. You don't become a friend, no. but 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 we have a shared sense of community around what's at the heart of it all. And which is that recommendation, go- Yeah, I which suppose. is recommendation and it's endorsement. And, and I trust that you've rated this person as X because I can see that you what you've rated them based on are similar things that I value. Yes. No, I think, no, I think that is interesting. And I suppose then, then that kind of leads us to community building versus brand building. Yes. And actually, I mean, what was very clear was that, and you know, I think rightly they'd concentrated on community building at the beginning. Yeah. But if they need to scale what, what they need is a brand. Yeah. And as you say, I think they recognize that that's the point in the journey that they're at and at some point that has to be about building out something bigger and, you know, all the stuff that we we know and we we talk about and building out how what that brand's gonna ladder up to and what it's gonna be the shorthand for, and also that sense of what's the real business that you're in. You know, the the behavior that you're trying to kind of you're trying to change behavior to change thinking, which is the right way round in terms of that normalization of childcare on demand, but also you're fundamentally trying to stand for trust, trust with the most precious thing that you have, trust with, you know, what can feel like a very rational, functional diary planning decision, but actually involves, you know, the biggest emotional trigger parents have, i.e. their children, and actually sort of trying to think about how you build that out and how that can scale is just, it's a, it's a really interesting point in the journey. 
it's, it's kind of interesting, I guess. You know, we've we've talked about trust. We've talked about the normalisation of new behaviours. Mm. You know, the sort of the personal belief and passion. Marketplace meets community. I guess if you were thinking, Sarah, of I don't know the one killer. You know, what's the key headline thought that you take away from Bubble? And you know, what would you recommend for? I guess brands and businesses to do different. The old, what would you do differently on Monday morning? Question. Yeah, I think for me, this one's less about maybe something that I would do differently. It's something that I would focus on and get back to. So for me, it would be around not getting distracted by the how and actually focusing really, really solidly back on the why. So to our points about trust, just get that focus back onto what you're actually selling. Focus on that and then work out the how, not getting tied up in the delivery mechanisms. And if you're guided by what it is you're actually delivering for parents, in this case, for your customer, for your audience, the rest will follow. Um, so for me, it's slightly cynic, like getting back to the why. Okay, that's interesting. I guess I think for me, it would be the challenge of a product that you can't see, taste, touch, smell mm. and hold on to. So um, how does that come to life? You, you, they need to sort of actualize it and the brand needs to come to life somehow um, outside because it's in a way, yeah, it's that it's that product that you can't physically pick up. So how do you um, ensure that I guess it's talked about, it's seen, you know, mental availability that, you know, as a, as a brand, it's active in culture and that it's very, um, it's the visibility, I guess, the visibility that you feel kind of it's there mm. and that you you could have, it's the feeling sort of the, the, the proximity to it, I think. They've got, they've built this thing now, it needs to be imbued with meaning. I guess that gets to the end of our session. So thank you, Sarah. Uh, Sarah Bubble and Sarah Holland. Thanks, Amelia Tarot. Thank you for joining us today. You've been listening to Strat Hack with me, Sarah Holland, and me, Amelia Tarot, founders of the Fawnbreak Collective. To find out more, visit wearefawnbreak.com. And for more information about today's guest, everything we've discussed, and how to get in touch with us about this podcast, please check out the notes that accompany this episode. <laughs>